0: Measuring your heart rate variability, or HRV, may be one of the most important measures, easily accessible to us, in terms of our health, fitness, and overall life longevity. But what exactly is heart rate variability? Well, that's exactly what I explored this week with coach Joel Jamieson. Joel has over 20 years of working with heart rate variability and over his time has has trained Olympic athletes, MMA fighters, Navy SEALs, NBA, NFL stars. So he really knows what he's talking about and is a real expert in this field. Joel really explains what HRV is, but not just HRV, he really breaks down the principles of exercise so that we can truly understand what is it that we're actually doing when we start to hit the gym or go out training. He also links HRV to how we can chronically accumulate injuries. He also then looks at, you know, how do we go about measuring it? He gives us tips on which devices to look for and then with the scores, how to actually read them, and what they actually mean. You're left with absolutely, it, it dispels all the myths in this area for us. But then the conversation takes an interesting turn and starts to broaden out. We start to look at the impact of stress on our body and how we can measure that with HIV, and how the counterpoint of having a real healthy HIV level gives us the ability to handle the stress that the outside world uh, throws at us, you know, particularly the volatile, uncertain world that we live in. This is a super important measure, because as Joel says, it's non-invasive and easy, easy to track over a long period of time. And it's a real indicator of life longevity. Joel is really super clear and concise throughout this whole conversation. Like I said, he dispels a lot of myths and he makes it really accessible for you to understand. So whether you're, you know, uh, uh, a top-level athlete, an aspiring everyday hero, somebody who just goes to the, the gym, or somebody who just wants to take their health and well-being that bit more seriously, then by the end of this conversation, you're going to have a clear idea of what a heart rate variability is how important it is to you and how you can go and measure and track it and make some significant changes in your life. So enjoy, Joel. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Today I have the great pleasure of welcoming Joel Jamieson all the way from Seattle. Joel, Joel, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's definitely a long way across the world from uh, you to me right now. Indeed, indeed. It's an amazing, um, just demonstrates the
0: amazing use of technology to pull in, you know, experts from around the world.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, imagine a couple of years ago, you'd never even see somebody that lives on the other side of the world, let alone talk to them on a, on <laughs> yeah, a big screen. Like yeah.
0: So, Joel, you're one of the world's foremost leading authorities when it comes to strength, conditioning, and energy systems. You've trained Olympic athletes, NFL stars, NBA, Navy SEALs, UFC champions. Um But one of the things that you're particularly known for is about heart rate variability. And this seems to be, particularly here in in the circles that I move in uh, with my training, this heart rate variability is something that gets talked about a lot. Um, But I'm not entirely sure everyone's crystal clear about what it is, how we measure it, how we use it. So I thought we'd take the time to dive into that today, if that's all right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's definitely a lot to unwrap there. And the more you understand it, the more you can realize or recognize why people um, are confused or why it's not quite as clear because it's, mm. there's a lot being represented in that single number. And the body itself has multiple overlapping systems that influence HRV. So I think it's an important topic because like you said, it's being discussed. It's it's in more and more devices. You see it mentioned, but turning it into something that's actually improving your training or improving your lifestyle um, isn't always as simple as people, uh, you know, need it to be.
0: Yeah, yeah. And just before we start, um, it, it is gathering a lot of focus and attention. Does it Does it warrant that? Is it an important?
1: Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think that as a single number, and as a number more important, it's, that's non-invasive. I mean, I can take my measurement for HRV quickly and easily relative to a blood test or any sort of more you know, invasive measures. It's easy to get. It's something that's not cost prohibitive for most people. And it does contain a lot of valuable information. It correlates to a lot of different measures of, of health span, lifespan, you know, injury risk and probability performance. I mean, it does correlate to a very broad number of things that are, that are incredibly valuable. So I, I think it's, you know, it's not the end all be all single metric of the world. But, you know, right now, I would say as far as a single number is concerned, particularly when it's easy to get, it is the best that we have. And I do think it's valuable for people to understand.
0: Super. So let's dig in. What is heart rate sure. variability?
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a million dollar question. I would say there's multiple ways to talk about it. Right? We can, we can talk about the math and the formulas behind it, but ultimately to really understand what's doing, you have to just go back to how the body works fundamentally. <clears throat> so most people have heard of, of what's called the central nervous system, right? The body the system that moves you around and provides locomotion and all that sort of stuff. Um, but people are probably a little bit less familiar with what's called the autonomic nervous system. And there's there's two halves of that, which they probably actually heard of. Uh, so the first one is the fight or flight system. People have heard of that, right? That's that's the stress response system. And the stress response has been discussed for 50, 60 years. Now you can go back all the way to Walter Cannon, Hans Salier, uh, Robert Sapolsky, all these people talking about the stress response And and like its name infers, the stress response is designed to respond to stress. And that can be physiological stress. It can be psychological stress. Really, it's usually a combination for most people. And at the heart of that response is an increase in energy production, mm-hmm. right? So the easiest way to think about that is if I think about something that's threatening or, or scary, or if I have a phobia of spiders or whatever, and I think about that, my heart rate elevates yeah. the same way that if I have to do some exercise, my heart rate elevates, right? And what's responsible for that elevation? Well, that's basically the stress response at work. So its job is to elevate our body's capabilities by producing more energy, because if I am under stress, well, I need the energy, right? Yeah. Now, the other half of the equation is what's called the parasympathetic nervous system that people might be a little bit less familiar with, but that's called the rest and digest or uh, yeah. rest and absorb, whatever you want to call it. But basically that, that job, uh, that system's job is to kind of counterbalance that sympathetic system. And by that, I mean, its job is to store energy. It's to rebuild the energy stores that were you know broken down during the stress period Um, and it's an anabolic side of the equation. So it builds things back up. So remodels tissue, rebuilds tissue, makes tissue stronger. It, it functions, it has the immune function behind it. Like it, it basically works together with the sympathetic system to cope with everything you put your body through. And it's going to be most active during periods of rest and periods of recovery. And of course, during sleep, we see a very high level of parasympathetic activation. So these two systems govern basically how your body's physiology responds to the external world. So whatever it is you're doing to it, these two systems work together to to help you cope and help you survive. And then really fitness is just about surviving the environment better next time you are exposed to it. So if I'm put under load, my, my stress response system, you know, produces the energy I need to cope with that. And then ideally my parasympathetic system makes my body stronger. So it's more effective, more efficient and more effective at coping with the same load the next time right? So these two systems are fundamental to fitness and to life itself. Now, the reason I mention this backstory is because ultimately what heart rate variability is doing is giving us a a measure or a gauge of where that parasympathetic nervous system is at, how active it is, uh, what's overall potential to be active is, and kind of where our body is in this cycle or this curve between the stress side of the equation and the recovery side of the equation, if we were to draw like a spectrum, really there, there, it is a spectrum on the far end would be extreme stress, right? The maximum heart rate or the maximum psychological stress. Yeah. That's the far end of the stress response. And then the far end of the recovery is really where your body is in the deep parasympathetic state and all of its energies be mobilized towards recovery and repair regeneration. And really we live kind of back and forth in those states across our daily lives, across our, our body cycles and what, what the heart rate variability number is doing is analyzing the rhythm behind the heart rate because that's driven largely by that parasympathetic nervous system and it's giving us a gauge or an overall metric of where we're at and so uh there's there's lots of formulas to get there there's lots of different systems and algorithms and ways you can calculate that but at the end of the day that's ultimately what heart rate variability is about it's about understanding where our body is in terms of that stress recovery cycle or that stress recovery curve and then from that, we can infer a lot of information about how our body's doing, whether or not we're, you know, going in the right direction, what our overall health is and, and resilience to stress is and all that. But aside from the deep dive, and the technical details, uh, understanding that that is what HRV is doing is probably the best place for most people to start.
0: Yeah. And I think even listening to you, the most important, what, the big things that jump out there is I think, I think we all... You know, in our quest to get stronger or fitter or whatever it is pursuit we're after, we all know about going in and putting the load on and 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 engaging with that sympathetic nervous system.
1: But yep.
0: you know, and then and then we get into this whole culture culture of you know a smash myself and things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But how often do we actually? approach our rest and relaxation and our parasympathetic nervous system with the same vein and same focus.
1: Yeah. I think it's an easy mistake to make to think that the workout and the load is the driving force behind our improvements, but they're really, it's just a trigger and whether or not that trigger leads to a change is, is whether or not our body puts the energy into recovery that it needs to. So you don't, you don't get stronger or or more efficient or faster or, or whatever in the gym, Those things only happen through the processes of recovery. We use training as a load to stimulate our body to say, basically, it needs to get better. And then only if we put our body under that recovery microscope or into that recovery state, I should say, do those things actually happen. And the problem is, you know, people will out-train their recovery ability, as you mentioned, meaning... I, I start seeing progress and everything's good and then all of a sudden things slow down. And so my natural instinct is just increased load, making myself yes. train harder, push myself harder, go harder. <laughs> but yeah, go harder. but the problem is once you exceed the body's reserve uh, to recover, then you're just kind of going down the slope the other direction. you can there's only so much the body can do in terms of recovery because there's only so many hours a day for it to recover and yeah. those things can be changed even you know significant by mental stress so it's it's very easy for people to make the mistake of of out training their of recovery ability, their ability to uh, withstand that load. And that's where you get bad things happening. I mean, I guess that the best case is you just don't make progress. You hit a plateau, but the worst case is you go the other direction and you start to get starts to get niggling little injuries, or you get uh, you know, more injuries or serious injuries, those sorts of things. So it's a, it's a big problem. I think the biggest problem in fitness is just people's lack of awareness of how important the recovery site is.
0: Yeah. So so many of our injuries and niggles are a function of not resting and recovering. Well, I mean, if,
1: if you think about it, if you, if you really think about it, we put the body under load and that yeah. means we're stressing these tissues. And the process of recovery is repairing the, the, the damage and the micro tears and the things that we've done to stress those tissues. If you don't repair those things adequately yeah. and you're training yourself over and over again, then those tissues become much more susceptible to injury. I mean, it's uh, really injury is the opposite of fitness, right? It's literally okay. the polar end. Like fitness is preparing the body to be more effective at coping with load. And injury yeah. means the body wasn't prepared to cope with load so certainly the, the process of injury you know we, we see injury as a single event right we, we pull yeah. we pull our hamstring or our quad or we we do something that's you know we, we lift something and all of a sudden something hurts it's injury yeah. is is feels very acute but it, most injuries you know are are the result of chronic uh, things that have happened i mean don't get me wrong yeah. there are there are the there are certainly the injuries that are acute Um, but the majority of injuries are just this chronic breakdown of tissue over time that wasn't able to fully repair itself. And thus it was not able to cope with the load that it was placed under. So it it plays a big, big role in in injuries and everything else. Hmm.
0: And I I think this is really valuable because it's setting the ground upon which, because I think most people know that doing some sort of exercise is good for them, but we never actually set this scene. And, and, you know, earlier on you mentioned that, you know, fitness is our capacity to deal with the environment outside. So if we're putting our body into this new environment, it's going to change, but then it needs the the time to adapt and recover to change to the new environment, which
1: yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's just that's just how the body is designed to work. It was designed to be exposed to an environment and then it was designed to adapt to that environment. But that that process of adaption, um, adaptation takes energy and it takes time. Yeah. I mean, it it takes energy to rebuild muscle tissue it takes energy to rebuild glycogen stores it takes time to uh to strengthen tendons and ligaments it takes time for the nervous system to uh to improve its function i mean all those things are just a function of energy and time and you you can't get the results without that energy and time happening Hmm.
0: and i suppose you know you stick a cultural context behind it where we're all into the you know results now and you know give yep. you six
1: weeks and I'll give you washboard abs and it's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that, look, the problem is you can feel the workout. And so it's, it's, it's intuitive to Think, Oh, this feeling of training fatigued and being, you know, being crushed is, is the feel I need to get to, to see the improvement. But that's again, that's just the stimulus. It's, it's everything in between those workouts where the results yeah. are actually happening. You don't feel recovery. So that's the problem is if you can't feel it per se, it's, it's not as uh. Um, easy for people to quantify, which is where I think heart rate variability can play a role.
0: Hmm. So um, obviously not deep diving right down into the algorithms, but you know, heart rate variability turns up on numerous devices now. We've got Apple. Mm. I know a lot of people that I know wear Garmin's and uh, there's the Aura watch, Whoop, and there's your Morpheus device. Yep, Are, are all
1: devices equal? <laughs> yeah i I mean i wish that were the case (laughs) it would would make everyone's life a bit easier but they're not so i'll I'll kind of talk about some of the differences the first thing um to just be aware of is that you really cannot compare the number from a heart rate variability in one system to the number of uh, another system because they're all using different math they're using different algorithms they're using different filtering and the number they're giving you may be completely different on a different scale is kind of the easiest way to think about it so you can't really say oh well i'm my HRV is this on one system. So why is it so different on another system? The reason is just because they are very different in calculations. Mm-hmm. So it's not standardized the way that let's say heart rate or blood pressure is. Those are very standardized numbers, right? Heart rate is just the number of times it beats the minute and blood pressure is, you know, blood pressure. So yeah. those things are very easy to compare regardless of what you're using to measure them. But heart rate variability um, is not just because there are 12 different math or more than 12 actually the multiple different ways to calculate it and get to a different numbers. So. First and foremost, that's the important thing is just you have to use one system to compare against itself. You really can't track HRV in four systems and really get anything out of it. So the second anything, thing is... one and stick with it. Choose choose one and stick with it. So then let's talk about choosing one. Um, obviously, I create Morpheus the way I did for a reason, but I'll talk about the two broad ways that people measure it. Actually, no, let me back up. The, other, the second piece of this is the sensor itself. Yeah. All right. So... The most accurate sensor without question is the chest strap. And the, the reason is because it's measuring the electrical signal in the heart uh, from the heart and essentially giving us a very, very, very accurate reading of the time between heartbeats, which is what we need. So those were kind of the original systems. I had the Cisco BioForce HRV use a chest strap. It's, it's the most accurate, uh, but a lot of people find it fairly inconvenient to put a chest strap on and, and measure HRV. And so the newer generations, including Morpheus, use what's called an optical sensor, And an optical sensor does not use electrical signals. It uses basically a a sensor, a laser to shoot uh, our lights, our led light to shoot that basically into the skin. And it measures the reflection back and (laughs) calculates it that way. So the thing to note is that it is slightly less accurate. Um, It's more prone to errors. If you're moving around during a test Um, it is, it is a little bit less accurate, but it's far, far more convenient. And for the vast majority of people out there it's necessary, but, but here's the big caveat to that. Yeah. All of those sensors are not created equal. Uh, yeah. There are some systems with very, very poor s- sensors that are, that are t- giving you an HIV number that's next to worthless. Um, and there are some that are good. Uh, the one that Morpheus users has been published in actual research and is a very proven sensor. Uh, but you can't say the same about a lot of them, unfortunately. So that is really the limiting factor in a lot of these. It's the sensor itself. If the sensor is right. not capable of measuring accurately, then the number you're going to get is going to be mostly meaningless. It's just not accurate. So assuming you're using you know one of the fairly accurate sensor, the other big thing is you've got two ways to measure it. Uh, one is it just kind of, you have it on all the time and it just periodically measures it, or maybe it measures it periodically throughout your sleep, like a lot of them are doing. Yeah. Um, or you can standardize that measurement period like Morpheus does, where it's a two and a half measurement, two and a half minute measurement. And we suggest doing it in the morning. And the reason um, that I do that is because when you're just kind of periodically measuring it, you're just kind of getting these random little pieces of data. Uh, yeah. And the problem is, uh, HRV is a very sensitive measure. And just if I'm taking it when I'm sleeping, for example, depending on what stage of sleep I'm in, I'm going to get a very different number. If I'm walking around in the street, it's next to worthless because my HRV is going to be incredibly low because I'm walking around and need energy yeah. for that. So the, the majority of research that I just, I just mm-hmm. wrote the section in the book, the NSCA's uh, new textbook sports, uh, so their certified sports scientist coach uh, course, I mean, I dug in all the research uh, to, to make sure I was up to date with things. And the reality is the research just doesn't support measuring it 24 hours a day or trying to extrapolate little random measurements. It's just not a very good way of doing it. It's like if I was to measure your blood pressure 10 times a day, I would just get 10 different numbers depending on what you were doing. Yeah. You know, if you finish a workout, your blood pressure would be one thing. If you were sitting at home on the couch, your blood pressure would be another thing. It wouldn't really tell me a whole lot other than what you were doing. But when we measure HRV on a daily basis in the standardized fashion that we do, then we can infer how your body is changing, what its baseline level of, of parasympathetic function is. And that yeah. gives us a much clearer picture. So we're trying to get a daily snapshot and then put those snapshots together to understand the, the trajectory of the path that you're on. Yes. Versus taking these random little snapshots all over the place. Now, the only way you can do that accurately, if you if you did want to measure all the time, you would literally have to have a sensor that measures it all the time. But the reason that none of them do that, whether it's Whoop or Aura or any of them, is because you would just, you would be your battery be dead within a couple of hours. It takes a lot of battery power to measure accurately the the, the level you need for HRV. So that's yeah. why Aura and Whoop and Garmin, all these apps, don't have 24 hour continuous HRV. It would literally kill your batteries in a couple of hours. Yeah. So what they're all all of what they're doing is just taking these random 30-second or 1-minute snapshots and then trying to stitch them together. But it's just it's just not a very accurate way and the, the unfortunate thing is I understand why people want it that way because it's more convenient to just have it being done in the background. It's it's yeah. easier if you don't have to do anything. But the reality is that data is just a lot more unreliable. It's it's a lot less accurate because it's not giving us a daily co- comparison. You know, like if I was going to measure your testosterone function or your blood pressure, I'd want, you know, a consistent measurement time. I'd want to make sure that that's why when you take blood tests, they want to control your diet. You know, they, they don't, they don't want you fasting for certain periods because those things influence those numbers. Yes. Yeah. So the, the long story short, like I said, is, is, you know, whatever you're using, uh, you want to use it the same system. Uh, you ideally want to make sure you're using a center that has some validation or is a well you know, well used system and has some research behind it. And ideally you want to use something that is that two and a half to three minute measurement in the day, which there are other ones besides Morpheus. You know, there's iAthlete, uh Wave, I believe does that these days. There's HRV, yeah. uh, or, uh, the HRV for training. I mean, there are other apps out there that do this. I would just tell you those ones are going to be more accurate and give you better gauges than the ones you just kind of wear it passively and you, whatever you get, you get, because you just don't know where that data is actually coming from, you don't know, when they're measuring it, how they're measuring it uh, yeah. or what they're getting the end result from. So you want, you want one where you <clears throat> specifically have the functionality to do the test. To control it, yes. Yeah. And, and the Apple Watch does that as well. And the, the data I've seen from the Apple Watch sensor is that it is uh, fairly good, and it does allow you to control that. So, I mean, if nothing else, uh, the Apple Watch sensor will do that. And the HRV for training allows you to use your co- your camera phone sensor as well, and that was uh, built by Marco Tini. He's a good researcher. He knows what he's doing. And, um, you know, you'll find that the, the people in this industry that are research-based that have you know, been in this for a long time, they're all – in that sort of frame of 2 to 3 minute measurements or 60 second measurements but consistent times yeah. none of them are really going towards measure you know ad hoc all throughout the day or night and really you know not know where that data came from yeah
0: so you have your measuring device you do your test you get your score can you give us an idea of the obviously yeah. it's individualized but the range of scores that we get and, and what they actually sort of mean
1: yeah, see, I mean, again, that that kind of is the hard part because different devices. So, ultimately, what you're usually getting is is a number in terms of milliseconds, which is the yeah. average variability of a heart rate across period of time in milliseconds. But most apps, so will we, then, sorry, just so we're clear, when you say
0: variability, yep. that that works on the assumption that, say, my heart's beating for 60 beats per second, right? Yep. That's one. Technically, that's one beat
1: every second. Per second. That's what you think, right? That's, that's, that's the think, assumption. But it's not. Yeah. It's not. It, it not. Yeah. 1.1. Yes, and it's, exactly
0: and it's, it's that level of average variability between the heartbeats
1: across yes. that period is is what yeah. we're looking at. Exactly, and so the reason for that is is as you mentioned, most people think, you know, well, my heartbeats like a metronome, but it just it doesn't, and it doesn't because it varies in, in cycle with your breathing patterns. So. And that essentially goes back to the, the parasympathetic that somebody talked about. So essentially it works this way. If, if I was to like just cut out the parasympathetic nervous system, your heart rate has an, an intrinsic value. And yeah. what that is for most people is about hundred beats per minute. And it would be extremely metronome-like. So if I literally just disconnected your parasympathetic system could keep you alive for a second, uh, your heartbeat would literally beat about hundred beats per minute, almost everybody's. And it would be extremely metronome-like. Yeah, But- you know, we have a parasympathetic nervous system yep. and as it turns on and turns off or, or cranks up and cranks down, however you want everyone look at it in cycle with your breathing. As we breathe out, we are turning that parasympathetic system on, or it's turning on, I should say. And as we breathe in, it's, it's decreasing its function. And so it naturally has a cyclic pattern to it in you know, in this periodic cycle with our breathing. And so as we're sitting there measuring our heart rate, you know, we see the average in terms of number of beats per minute. But what we're not seeing unless we measure heart rate variability is how that heart rate is changing, you know, speeding up and slowing back down, speeding up yeah. and slowing back down in cycle with a respiration. And that's ultimately what heart rate variability is doing is telling us what's the average level of that variation across the measure, across the time that you measured it. Yeah. So the greater variability, essentially a higher number tells us that that parasympathetic system had a bigger influence. It was causing a bigger slowdown when it was on. And yes, a bigger speeding back up when it was when it was off. Yep. So the greater the greater the input from that parasympathetic nervous system, the greater the variability between heartbeats on average across that time you're measuring it.
0: Right, and going back to what you said earlier, thus it gives us the measure of how switched on our parasympathetic nervous exactly, system.
1: Exactly. Exactly, and that's why it's important back to measure in spectrum. a very Yes, exactly. That's why it's important to measure a, you know, on, a, on a standardized basis because we want to see how it's changing on a day-to-day basis around the same time. Mm. If we just measure it when you're walking around, then we just see a very low HRV. Uh, you know, you need to be in a fairly rested you know, state while you're measuring it to get a good accurate measurement of that parasympathetic system being turned on because as soon as your heartbeat, so to go from your normal resting heart rates up to about hundred beats per minute, it's, it's really just the parasympathetic system turning off. We go above 100 beats per minute. It's more of the sympathetic system turning on. Yes. So anytime you're above 100 beats per minute, there is no no real HRV. It's very little parasympathetic function happening. It's mostly just the parasympathetic system, you know, receding and turning off to get us to that point. So that's why it's it's kind of worthless to measure HRV just walking around or working out or doing these things like it's it's just not active because you're you're using the sympathetic system at that point in time. So uh, going back to your question, uh, you know, again. That number is going to be different based on the system, but in general, you know, a higher number means that parasympathetic system is is more active and more turned on than a lower number. And which, you know, the easy thing to think about this that most people make the mistake of thinking, oh well, higher number must be good and lower number must be bad. That's kind yes. of the intuitive thing, right? Like, well, it makes sense. You think, oh, okay, well, if my body's putting more energy towards that recovery side, that must be a good thing. If it's putting less energy towards it, that must be a bad thing. And that's a very, you know, it's a, it's, it's an intuitive thing. And it makes sense. Uh, the problem with that line of thought is it, it just tells us that the body's on a different point at the curve. So uh, you know, it's hard to, to mentally draw a curve here, but let's say you're, let's say you're just uh, you're gonna you can do a workout. You're starting from a baseline, like a normal baseline. Mm. Now I do a workout. Obviously my HRV goes very far down because I'm putting my body under a lot of stress. And then my HRV gradually comes back up after that workout, as I come back to normal, and then my HRV will go up above kind of my normal baseline as I put more and more energy towards recovery. And then as my body is fully recovered, it kind of returns back to its normal baseline. So it's mm-hmm. going through the cycle of, of very low to very high to back down to normal, right? And yeah. where it is in that curve tells us kind of where our body is in that cycle. So if it's, if it's really low, well, yeah, that means your body is still pretty, pretty early on the recovery process. It's still going through that pattern. If we are really high, on the other hand, it tells us, again, that our body's still devoting a lot of energy towards recovery, meaning it probably hasn't fully gone through the cycle. And yes. then we, if we see HIV, kind of come back towards our normal baseline, where we usually would be in a resting state, it tells us that recovery process is probably finished or gone mostly back to where it started. So yeah. if we think about this from a measurement standpoint, if we're really low, it's, it is usually pretty obvious that it's, it's, your body is still under a fairly high load. If, however, we see it's really high or it's much higher than your normal baseline, it doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, I'm fully recovered. It means I'm still kind of in the, the tail end of that process and my body still is devoting a lot of energy towards recovery and it hasn't kind of come back to my baseline yet. Yeah. So it, it can tell us both things, but it's not necessarily it's quite as simple as high is always good and low is yeah. always bad. From the standpoint of, you know, if it's really high, it's telling you something very similar to if it's very low, it's just at a different point in that process if that makes sense
0: yes yeah and and i guess so to be so to be transparent you know i first came across your work roundabout in december and i went and bought myself a a morpheus and yeah it's having that rolling 10-day average which means then you can then see where you're at those those cycles right and it's and it also it also made me change my mindset in terms of this isn't just a turn up, go to the gym once time event. This this is now an, an overall, you know, sort of longitudinal game that I'm playing where because yep. I couldn't understand why to start with, um you know, I could understand when my, my score was low that I was, you know, still recovering. But I couldn't understand where it was high Dugged up. Yeah. Why, why I was getting poor scores. Yep. So then that took a bit of research and and, and to understand that.
1: So. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the most common thing I think people misinterpret. And a lot of the apps out there, unfortunately, kind of reinforce that. They, they say, oh, your HRV is high. Great job. Well, uh, you know, it's not always yeah. that simple. I mean, it, it just tells you that you are at a very different point in the recovery process. And I will say, too, the the better shape you're in, the higher your level of, of fitness and the more you're exposed to a particular type of event or stress, the faster that process happens, meaning You know, maybe the first few times you do a workout, a new workout, a new program, you're sore the next day, you're tired, your HIV is down, but very quickly that changes. And all of a sudden the next day you're up, you're higher because the body basically is just dealing with, it's, it's sped the whole process up. So you're recovering a lot faster and that, in that same 24 hour period, rather than being down now, all of a sudden you're high. It's just basically showing you the body is adapting because it's recovering much quicker before it might've taken 48 hours to get there. And maybe now it's only taking 24 So you're just seeing this whole process condensed. So, uh, you know, again, you see this with people of higher levels of fitness in general. You see this with just more exposure to a new program. Like you you should actually see all things being equal an increase the next day once you've been exposed to something.
0: Yes. So given the fact that we're now looking at an average rather than fixating on a daily score, because it's almost, um, yeah, where's my average and where am I against that? And I've, like I said, I, I found this quite fascinating when some days, you know, I'd wake up and my score, score was really quite low. Yeah, I felt all right. And then I go to the ocean for a swim and within sort of two or 300 meters, I'm like, I am shattered. <laughs> and I didn't see that coming. <laughs> um, I felt all right. But then when I actually started to get in, I was shattered. I just got out and, and walked back to the hut. Um, given the fact we're now looking at where our average is, um what are the, what are the, I mean, obviously, you know, people, you know, they have their own sports, their own pursuits, their own training programs, but what are the sort of things that we can do to over time start to increase our average? Because obviously that would be the overall aim. Is that
1: correct? Yeah. So again, we, again, you, you look at HIV from two perspectives, you look at kind of that daily swing up and down relative to your average. And you look at, mm-hmm. like you said, what is my actual average? And those are two different things. Before we go into that second question, let me uh, just make one point. It, it's also, I would say the second thing people tend to intuitively think is that their performance is going to always line up perfectly with their HRV. That's, that's not yeah. really the case. All right. So if we're, again, considering the cycle of stress and recovery, a single period is, is not going to drive performance. Meaning if my recovery score is lower today, but it was you know fine in the last couple of days, You know, just because it's, it's lower or higher today does not mean like all of a sudden I'm going to magically perform. If that, if it's that simple, I would look to all the Morpheus database of all the pro sport athletes and I'd be a betting man. I'd make a million (laughs) dollars because I could predict who's going to perform well, Uh, but (laughs) that's just, it's the body's not quite that simple, right? There's there's multiple things going on. We can't, we can't predict performance or predict injuries from a single measurement. Like I wish we could do that it'd make the world a lot easier. Yeah. But (laughs) yeah, we make it bigger. But that's just not the the reality. I I would say a better way, and this is kind of the the way I try to help people understand HRV is use. So rather than thinking about HRV as a prediction of how well you're going to perform or how much you can lift or or how likely you're injured, think of it more as a gauge of, of how long it's going to take you to recover from this workout. And what I mean by that is, let's say I have a really high intensity, high volume, smash myself into the ground workout planned. If I wake up and my HRV tells me that my recovery is low, it, it's going to take me a lot longer to recover yeah. from that workout than if my recovery is higher because I'm starting from a debt to begin with. That's so it's thought. it's it's so you want to think about this, how much energy reserves kind of do I have available to adapt to this workout? And if I'm starting from a low point of recovery, well, then my reserves are already depleted. So I don't have much energy to further go towards recovery from this next workout. So it's just going to take me a whole lot longer to recover from a workout, if I'm starting from a low point of recovery versus a high point of recovery, and again, if we we understand the point should be train, recover, repeat. That's kind of my, my mantra. There is train, recover, repeat. That you know we no, we don't try, want repeat, to be. Rest- <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We don't want train repeat, train repeat. We want train, recover, repeat. So it's very valuable for us to gauge how long it's likely going to take us. And that's why it's, it's not, that doesn't mean you couldn't do a high intensity work if your recovery is low. It just means it's going to take you a lot longer to recover from it. If you choose to do that and you should be aware of that. So that's kind of the the way I tend to frame uh, HRV. And the reason I think that's important is because I've I've heard multiple, multiple times from different uh, coaches. Well, I really think HRV is great, but I'm worried that my athletes will psychologically fall apart if they see a low recovery score for a day, or I'm worried that they're going to be concerned about injury if they're like again, If it was that simple, you know, if you could coach by numbers and that was the way the body was predictable, you know, we'd be living in a different world. And again, I would be a lot richer and I wouldn't be having this conversation, but it's just, it just isn't that simple. We're not really predicting performance or injury. We're predicting recovery times is a better way to look at it. So I just think that's important framing for people to not get stressed out because their recovery score is X or Y or Z. It's, it's not about like, oh, my recovery score is low. I'm going to go blow my knee out tomorrow today if I go blow my hamstring off the bone, if I go sprint. Like, no, you just are going to take a lot longer to recover from that if you do it. And the caveat would be, if you do that over and over again, then then yes, yes, you are more likely to get yeah. injured. You know, if, if you were to do that every, you know, if you were constantly in a low recovery state and constantly doing high loading, yeah. you would see your averages, you know, tanking usually, and you would see all kinds of problems, you know, pre- premeditate those injuries. So I just think, again, it's, it's yeah. human nature to want to simplify into this very easiest terms to understand. And it's, it's really easy to think, Oh, recovery scores, you know, immediately going to predict my performance. Sometimes it it correlates really well. Sometimes it doesn't, it's not always quite that simple. Uh, But, you know, that's a long-winded answer to get to get back to your your second point. Yeah. The, the, the goal, you know, for most people who, who want to have endurance and life expectancy and prevent cardiovascular disease should be to see an increase in HRV over time up to a, you know, a higher level. Uh, the, the challenge is again, because each system is using its own standards. I can't tell you what that level is uh, yeah. for other systems. I can tell you with Morpheus, you know, most people for a health and wellness band want to get in the eighties, uh, you know, and, and a score in the eighties is pretty predictive of, of a longer lifespan and less risk for cardiovascular disease. Mm. Uh, it's a good overall w- uh, level for you to recover quickly from, from most types of stress. It's a, re- it's a stress resiliency number. Um, yeah. as much as anything else. So if you get your average in the eighties on the Morpheus system, at least, You'll be in a much better position if your HRV average is down in the 60s or, or low 70s, for example. Now, that said, there are of course sport differences because the biggest, the single biggest thing that will correlate to HRV average would be aerobic fitness uh, for multiple reasons. If we simply step back and we think about recovery, what energy system drives recovery? You know, it's it's not the anaerobic systems. No, it's it's the aerobic system, right? So the yeah. the aerobic system is driving recovery because it's what drives most of the energy you ever produce. So A stronger, more robust, more efficient aerobic system can drive more energy into the recovery side of things more effectively. So that's why endurance athletes are going to have higher levels of HRV than strength and power athletes. So again, the caveat to the higher is better uh, is that it depends on your sport. So somebody who's trained to break a world record in powerlifting or Olympic weightlifting or 100-meter sprint is certainly not going to want to have the same average HRV as somebody who's swimming across the ocean, for example, because- You know, you're swimming for five or six hours and they're sprinting for, you know, 10 seconds uh, or lifting the weight for less than that. So the, the average you're looking for will depend upon your overall goal. Um, but I would still say just from a general health and wellness standpoint, you know, athletics aside, uh, you know, on Morpheus, at least in 80s is a, is a good number to strive for. For most people, it just aren't, you know, they're not competing for sport. They just want to be healthy and live longer and, uh, you know, have a, a general uh, good disposition of, of health as they, they progress through life.
0: Given, given, like you said there, that um, you know, th- this becomes uh, an indicator for, you know, longevity and, and heart health and, and things like that. And, and given the fact we, we are looking at the, you know, we're taking more of a longitudinal look, do you find that um, when working with clients, there's a greater receptivity with age? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I can I, tell you just I, from my... I'm 40, I'm 46. So, you know, this stuff fascinates me because now I yeah, have absolutely. that I didn't have when I was 20.
1: Yeah, I, I think, it look, it's, it's human nature. When, you, when you're when you really young, you want to look your best. And at some point, you probably want to perform at a high level in something. And then sooner or later, you just want to stay alive and not not fall apart in the process. <laughs> uh, it's just kind of how it goes. And, you know, I'm 41 now. And I can tell you my my focus, you know, is totally shifted as I've, I've, I've aged personally. You know, I, I don't want to have uh, naked injuries uh, I want to look and feel as young as I can and I, I want to avoid the cardiovascular disease stroke and things that I've seen prevalent in my family and you know I, mm. I'd much much rather trade uh, that than a little extra performance and you know in anything so I think our priorities shift as we get closer towards that midpoint or end points of our life you know <laughs> we could care less about how much we can lift as long as we're healthy and, and you know feeling good and, and staying alive and avoiding things because it doesn't take long for you to, to see people you know and care about have a stroke or have cardiovascular disease or have diabetes or have something that you don't want to get and, and yeah. when you see that uh your priorities you know rightfully so shift into you know i i, I don't care about having giant arms as long as i can stay healthy and, and avoid those things mm. you you also
0: mentioned earlier just then and it's something else because i'd like to come sort of a bit out of the the training focus and you were talking about stress resilience um is it possible with this to start to see sort of the life stress load in here as well
1: yeah i mean look to be to be honest that's kind of the first thing i noticed uh, or it is the first thing i noticed when i started looking at hiv back you know almost 20 years ago now Probably, probably actually about 20 years ago uh, you know, I was a coach, a young coach, and I was, of course, under the assumption that, that the end-all be-all of, of someone's stress was going to be my workout. And I quickly found out that was not the case as I was training everybody from NFL players to their, the cheerleaders to Microsoft executives to, you know, stay-at-home moms and dads. And you quickly realized, uh, I quickly realized how, how much everything else mattered. Uh, their, yeah. their sleep levels, their, their mental stress levels some work, their nutrition, their supplementation, their caffeine intake. Uh, just their genetics. I mean, all of those things were driving their recovery on such a level that I had could have never foreseen or guessed until I saw it. And, you know, we saw, uh, just to kind of give a, a good example, I we trained a bunch of college soccer teams and I had a bunch of data on them. And we would see that the finals week in their college was more stressful than the playoffs. Um, right. which you would not you would not think that, right? You would think, oh, playoffs have got to be the most stressful physical and mental time of, of the year, but it wasn't. It was the finals week where they were staying up. Two, three, four nights without little sleep, and you know, with poor sleep, and and probably not eating particularly well, and mentally stressed from taking their test. That yeah. was a greater cumulative stress to them than two or three soccer matches in a weekend that were you know high importance. And so, yeah, you, you see very quickly that uh, you know again the workout is is one piece, but it's it's the other twenty three hours a day that that really drive so much of what we see. And again, I think that's the other value of HRV is is showing that to people that you know everything you do matters, not just the the time in the gym but everything else in between those sessions is what's what's ultimately responsible for so much
0: because i guess as we know if if you're in a perpetual state of stress then you're perpetually switching on that sympathetic nervous. Yeah,
1: that's exactly what it comes down to it's it's it's, it's just important. comes down to the fact that yeah so no, i guess ahead. you're
0: sort of almost overriding the body's natural system to want to recover from the day by mentally keeping that switch switched on
1: yeah, I mean, what it comes down to is, is people don't understand this uh, as well as they need to, but your your body's got a limitation in how much energy it can produce. So our, our metabolism uh, keeps us alive, obviously, and its job is to take the food we eat and, and turn it into energy we can use, but that's that's in itself takes time and takes energy to even do that. So uh, there's this thing called the metabolic ceiling, and the metabolic ceiling basically says your body can produce roughly about two and a half times your, your basic metabolic rate or the minimum amount of calories you need in a day to survive uh, on average over a longer period of time. So let, let's say my body takes, just as an example, an easy one, let's, let's say my body takes 1,000 calories a day to just stay alive. Yeah, And it's going to take 2,500 calories a day. is basically about the maximum my body can produce over the long run. So what happens when I exceed that? Is I pull energy away from everything else. Uh, you know, I pull energy away from recovery. I pull energy away from re- uh, reproductive hormones. I pull energy away from immune function. I produce. You know, I pull energy away from all the things that I that I need uh, to be healthy and to live longer and to to be more fit. So again, it's it's robbing Peter to pay Paul. If I'm always mentally stressed and I'm not getting the sleep I need and I'm not supporting myself with nutrition, then what suffers is first and foremost my fitness levels, and secondly. Um, equally important is my health itself and you know everyone's kind of gone through those periods of mental stress well what happens you lose your sex drive your appetite probably changes uh, your fatigue and energy levels change those are those are all happening because of the mental stress and you know those are real real effects from the physiological perspective Hmm.
0: so but i guess one of my other questions is from another perspective is that you know, because me- mental health, particularly here in Western Australia, is starting to become, you know, a more talked-about conversation. Granted, we've still got a long way to go, but so often it's you know, we we the stock standard advice includes make sure you're getting at least 30 minutes of exercise a day. So where where do you see that? Where stress can impact and almost lower our HRV score. If we have a good, solid HRV score, let's just say around about that eighty through Morpheus, um, does that stand us in better stead to face the you know the stresses and strains of life? Because yes. one of the things that's turned up a lot in conversations I've had from lots of different perspectives here on the podcast is the role of the nervous system. And what I'm starting to see and feel is that that when faced with, you know, volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous situations, that quite often the role of whether we can stay in it and see possibility and probability and make better decisions often is a function of whether we've switched off into that fight or flight or managed to stay open. Do you see what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's, 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 multiple things going on there, but the, the, the short answer to uh, the question is, you know, does, does have, does higher HRV make us more resilient to stress of life? Absolutely. I mean, that's, yeah. that's fundamentally a big piece of why people hate with higher HRV are likely to live longer because they're likely to avoid mm. the, the stress-related diseases of cardiovascular disease oh, yeah. and diabetes. They're, they're more stress resilient for a reason because their their parasympathetic system is, is able to mitigate uh, the sympathetic stress response, and they're better at shutting that sympathetic system off with a stronger parasympathetic response. That's that's stage one, or, or one of the most important things. But just as importantly, uh, to your point, people with higher HRV have been shown, like uh, uh, people who have addiction to cigarettes and people who make food choices, uh, the people who have higher HRV are better able to resist temptation from either uh, you know they basically look at cigarettes people who are addicted to cigarettes if you get them to quit smoking and then you put a pack of cigarettes in front of them uh, the people with higher hrv are have a better likelihood of, of resisting the temptation to keep to, to basically just to re-smoke again or to to take the the poor choice of, of making the bad decision and same thing with diet if you give people a carrots or a cookie and you ask them which one they want to eat the people with higher hrv are more likely to to eat yeah. the carrot instead of the cookie it's it's a Uh, It it comes back to, we have, we have different pathways to make decisions and there's a whole other discussion we get into, Uh, but you have the the simplest example or simplest way to think about is you have these two systems. One is a very quick decision-making process, heuristics system. System, Yeah. A, B, one, two, like Daniel Kahn's book, uh, thinking fast and slow covers a lot of this. There's a lot of stuff, neuroeconomics, but yeah, the principal thing is we have a system that relies more on instincts and impulse. And we have a system that's more complicated, relies more on complex decision-making. And it has to first override that, that system that wants to just kind of make a, you know impulsive decision. And that system is heavily dependent on energy. Uh, and as that system's reserves get depleted and you overuse it, you, you lose some of that self-restraint. And so people with higher HIV tend to have greater self-restraint, greater self-control, um, in addition to the greater recovery. So you're your stress resilient, I would say on multiple levels, it's just a physiological stress resilience um, is there and also a decision-making stress resilience is also there so you definitely see a lot of benefits and i don't know about you but i've seen i would say if just comparing broad personality types and again this is, this is stereotyping but it is yeah uh, i think what i've seen across my career I also is i find stereotyping strength, efficient <laughs> yeah i mean being strength and power athletes tend to be very different types of people than endurance athletes yeah um and and i don't want to again stereotype but i can do this because i've been in the industry for 20 years Strength and power athletes in the far end of strength and power, they don't live as long and they generally speaking don't take care of themselves. um, I would say as well, they're less organized. They tend to have very different lifestyles than the endurance athletes, you know, who tend to be more very cyclical in nature, very organized in nature. Uh, They tend to have better self-control as a whole. They tend to be uh, more executive level thinking like again th- these are just broad stereotypes Not everyone's gonna fall into that category um, but you know I've, I've worked with a lot of people over the years and there's these some observations i've seen um and i think it's just kind of a, a breakdown of how different people are hardwired to to do different things and how it comes back to the the physiology that underlies those those uh, drives hmm so obviously we are having
0: delineated the fact that, um, you know, we use the sympathetic nervous and the parasympathetic nervous system, and we're very now acutely aware of the practices to, you know, activate the sympathetic nervous system, which is essentially as, you know, going out and training, et cetera, et cetera. What are some of the practices we can look at to um, engage more with our parasympathetic nervous system? Because it strikes me and and, and I sort of... (laughs) I found myself since taking this more seriously for myself. I've noticed my calm levels and energy levels just come down. And yet, um, I have a fiance who's, you know, is coming off the path of smash, 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 smash. And I found myself saying to her, you know, if you could develop a a a relaxation practice to the same level that you have your smash yourself practice.
1: Yep, exactly. Be an awesome athlete. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's really what it comes down to. It, it comes down to, you know, everyone's going to have different things that work for them, but I actually like to use the workout self as a training tool for that because yeah. the workout is obviously going to be stressful. And so one of the things I, I always focus on is, is using heart rate as a tool for that. So as I'm training, you know, there are certainly, you want to drive your heart rate up and that's part of, you know, the intensity you need to train, but treat the rest period after those times as a chance to develop that parasympathetic skill set and that parasympathetic function. So focusing on recovering in between sets and focusing on bringing your heart rate down at the end of the workout and focusing on the, the time in between working, working Mm. sets is a chance to focus on the recovery. And it's, it's both a a cognitive thing of just being able to relax mentally. um, And it is a physiological thing. And the easiest thing is breathing, Uh, you know, as you, extend that ex, you know exhalation process you are extending that parasympathetic function uh turning on and off and that's why breathing, breathing's gotten a lot more coverage lately i'd say in a lot of areas and there's, yeah. there's benefits to focusing on that i think it's it's valuable and then i would say you know once you can do that well in a high intensity workout it's easier to do that in your daily life and then you can you can develop little routines of you know you sit and sit there for five minutes and go through some just mental relaxation drills or maybe you listen to music that you find relaxing or uh, you know, whatever the case may be for you, that you find a way to mentally, um, you know, turn that dial down a bit is, is super valuable for people. And I've seen, you know, five minutes a day can actually increase your HRV fairly noticeably uh, for the for the people that have a very hard time shutting off. Uh, yeah, Once they can learn how to do that, it can make a really big difference in their, in their HRV and their overall fitness levels.
0: Awesome. Um, just a slightly more personal question. How is it for, you know, Armed with all this information, how is it for Joel looking out into the world on an everyday basis when you see you obviously interact with, okay top end athletes, but also, you know, like you said, mum and dads and, and stuff like that. And you see them making their gains and how that exponentially changes their life. And yet, you know, we all step out of work or step out of the gym and then you have to encounter people who don't do that how how does that weigh on Joel when you you, you can see these positive ways forwards um, and people taking it and then others not yet that still impacts your life as well Do you get what I'm
1: going yeah I mean that's that, that's a good question. It's, it's a hard question like I said my I won't go too far in my family history before I bore you guys but you know my mom had a, a stroke uh, 10 12 years ago my, my dad passed away after triple bypass in his early 60s my both my grandpas passed away in their early 60s. Uh, and so, you, again, you, you see people that are close to you die very young or have serious health issues at very young ages. And, you know, I, I wasn't really in much of a position to influence those things because they, they happened a long time ago for the most part. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's definitely hard to see people making decisions that, you know, are probably not the most healthy decisions for themselves, whether it's your family or friends or, or just, you know, strangers you come, come across in life you know, and I've always just tried to educate as much as I possibly can push people in the direction uh, that I, you know, the things they need to go, but it's, you, you kind of, at some point, you just have to realize people's decisions are their own and, and you yeah. can lead a horse to water, so to speak, but you can't force them to drink. So I think, you know, my, my role and my mission is to, is to provide that education, to give people the knowledge. Cause I think knowledge is where it starts. If you don't understand how important these things are, if you're not measuring them, if you don't have any way of seeing them they're, you're much less likely to, to change those decisions and behaviors um, and so I'm focused on, on just that knowledge piece and that's uh, you know really kind of what I've always focused on and, and you know, right now I'm working on the Morpheus coaching app which we've been, we haven't talked about yet but uh, I really think yeah. the biggest way to impact the most people is is to give this power to coaches and trainers and physical therapists and, and these people that have access to you know help people make better decisions and right now, the, the funny thing is if you have an Apple watch or you have a Fitbit or an or you have anything uh, and you have a coach, that coach doesn't know what the data says. They, yeah. they can't see it. It's stuck on your phone and your, or your, your watch. And so the Morpheus coaching app I've been working hard for about a year and a half on, yeah, we will yeah. change that. And we're going to, we're going to give all the data that have uh, that people have in their wearables. We're going to give that to coaches in a meaningful way. We're going to facilitate, I think coaching in a, in a new direction or a much better direction where coaches can start to see the lifestyle influences. They can start to help people make, better decisions, they can start to point people the right direction. So I think we have to get this information to the coaches, the trainers and the, the therapists, and the people that interact with, uh, you know, the average person on a daily basis and help facilitate those conversations. And that's how we can have a much bigger impact than, uh, than anything else. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, do, do you want to tell me just a bit more about that? The, the
0: Morpheus app, because like you said, I found it impressive in the way that most apps are very much focused on the singular device. Whereas this seems to be yep. all of a sudden it's pulling in, you know, like the steps from the phone and things from here and yep. you know, sleep information.
1: Yeah. And the biggest thing is, I always wanted to create something that was going to give the most people the most information. And yeah. so for steps and sleep and, you know, activity, that sort of stuff, people have a lot of wearables, you know, like I said, from Fitbits yeah. to Apple Watches. And rather than force people to only use a Morpheus band or the Morpheus devices, I wanted to make sure we could use as many devices as possible for that. So, uh, as you mentioned, we, we take sleep, we take activity, we take steps, calories, and even workout data from a variety of devices out there. Really, the only one that we require you to have the Morpheus device for is the HRV piece, because as I mentioned, mm. uh, you know, there, there's just no way to standardize that. We, could, we couldn't we could use 10 different devices and get a good baseline of HRV numbers. Yeah. So. For HRV, we require the Morpheus device. For everything else, we're extremely open and flexible. And then we use all that information to give people the recovery score. So we take some of the the analysis out of it. So you don't have to spend too much time worrying about what is the HRV up or down mean. The recovery score does a lot of that work for you. And then, like I said, we're going to take all that information and share it with coaches in a meaningful way. So if I'm a coach and I've got 20, 30 people, I want to see that lifestyle data. I want to see how much someone's sleep they've been getting. I want to see what their activity levels were. I want to see if they did workouts when they weren't with me, I want to have access to all that. Uh, and that's really what the Morpheus coaching platform is going to do. Because like I said, right now, uh, I think the biggest problem in fitness and coaching is is 90% of it is just black box. I mean, I see you in the gym. I know what you did in the gym and then you leave and you might come back a few days later or next week. And I have no idea what you did in between. Yeah. You could have had the best sleep in the world and been fully recovered, or you could have smashed yourself in the ground with some extra workouts and drunk yourself to, to oblivion every night. I don't know. Uh, you know, and, and as a coach, as a coach, I'm, I'm, you know, trying to give you the best workouts possible, but you know, if I have no idea what you did or where your recovery is or anything else, I just guess, or I just make assumptions. And most of those are, are poor choices. So I think we have to kind of bring coaching out of the dark ages where we're just thinking of the workouts as, as this isolated thing and understand that the workout is, is just part of the, the actual daily life and the daily story that the data can tell us. Um, and so that's where I think we need to go. and That's what I'm focused on with the, the Morpheus system. So that's why I'm, I'm really excited to get that out there. Because like I said, it's been a year and a half of, of work, but I'm extremely happy with how it's come together and the results we've seen from the initial people using it have been really exciting. So that's uh, my next big project. And like I said, where I think we have a lot bigger impact on the industry than than I ever could by myself.
0: Yeah. And I suppose from a coaching point of view, you know, what, you know what's going to turn up rather than okay, I've got this, yeah, I suppose, you know, you've got this program, which you've written, which you've cognitively engaged with, but then, you know, there's always going to be a time when, you know, an athlete or someone turns up and they're like, fucking hell, I've had a day. (laughs) And you're like, I mean, it happens more than you think.
1: I mean, yeah, it it happens a lot, honestly. And like I said, the the more I started using HIV from early part of my career, the more I saw that, you know, all the planning in the world was well and good, but nine you know, nine times out of 10, there was something I was going to change. I mean, not nine or 10, but a good percentage of the time, you know, my plans weren't, weren't uh, quite uh, realized because I saw what the person had done to themselves or uh, where the recovery was relative to what I expected it to be. And you, you, you learn that coaching is an art form because you have to make a lot of decisions, but it's actually a science. It's only an art because you don't have the information. Uh, yes. But once you have the information uh, it becomes a lot easier to make better decisions. It's like, if we get, it's like trying to buy stocks if you only sell a stock price once a month. I mean, yeah. You really wouldn't be able to see what the, what the hell it's doing. But if you saw yeah. that stock price every day or every hour, now you can make a lot smarter investments. It's the same thing. Hmm. And you can then, suppose, coach people more dynamically. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think it adds a layer of accountability. I think people yeah. uh, in general are, are likely to make better decisions about sleep and be more mindful of their stress levels and be more mindful of other workouts and you know, doing the right things on their days off if they know someone's watching and someone's yeah. paying attention to their data, uh, you know, you might stop that Netflix series and go to sleep. Uh, if you know someone's gonna see it the next day, what your sleep was. So, you know, I think we can add a bit of accountability there too, for people yeah. to ultimately, I think that's the big thing is if you're going to be successful in fitness, a coach can help guide you there. And it's kind of goes back to their question, but you're the one leading the life. You know, you yeah. have to make the decisions. You know, yeah. I can't eat the foods for you. I can't go to bed for you. I can't do any of those things. Uh, I can tell you what you need to do and help point you the right direction, but people have to be accountable yeah. Uh, for their own actions, and I think that's part what it helps with as well. And that, and and I suppose, yeah, that's the big mental tipping point of whether you're going to go from one place to another or not. Yeah, I mean, look, I I, I don't want to discount the role of coaching. Coaching is hugely important. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it can help people make those decisions. But at the end of the day, again, if if you're going from gym to gym to gym or coach to coach to coach and still not seeing the results, you you probably need to look in the mirror for the problem. You know, it's it's, it's there may be something there that you need to fix that. Uh, the workout's not the problem, you know, you, you might be. Yeah. So I think that people, again, I, 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 the role of coach is hugely valuable and, and the, the right coach can make a vast difference in your life. But ultimately you have to be willing to to make the changes that you need to make outside the gym as well. And the coach is just one part of that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the last question I ask all my guests uh, is sure. a hypothetical one, uh, which I enjoy the answer to is um, if I could just chill everyone out for like five to 10 minutes and yeah. just upload one question into the collective consciousness so everyone just considered it for themselves, what
1: would that be? What's the one question I'd, I'd have everyone consider for themselves? Yep. Hmm. Uh, that's a good question. What, give me, what's your what's your answer? And then I'll give you mine how about that. Oh yeah, I love how you're stalling for time. <laughs> You didn't mean to think here. Yeah. You got to give me one. You got to give me your answer. Well, um,
0: we've had a number of uh, really good questions out here, but um, what would mine be? Christ, no one's asked me yet. Well, Um, you said said I could ask you anything, so here you go. (laughs) You did. I did. I did. I did. So mine would be... Mine right now would be um, what is pulling you and why?
1: What's pulling you?
0: Yeah. Why, why is that your question? Um, because I think, and when I say pulling, it's, it, that's more of an embodied answer than a, what do I think I need to do? It's what is pulling you? i think more often than not um we cognitively engage with things and 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 actually th- this is <laughs> this is very interesting in 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 light of what we're talking about because um i i i have as i said before the call um a few years back i i worked my way up to swimming the twenty-kilometer channel to Rottnest. and that was back in 2016. And I haven't set myself a goal of that nature for a while. And one of the things I found when I did that in 2016 was it was a very um, it was it was a very cognitive um, journey, and I wasn't entirely sure how connected I was to my body at times. Um, there were moments when I was, and there's moments when I wasn't. And sometimes I see in a lot of friends who do triathlon, particularly half Ironmans and Ironmans, that it just becomes this mental I'm going to do this, and then we'll worry about the condition of the body later. And if I'm going to, en- and, and I'm at this point now where if I'm going to engage in setting myself another goal, whether that's swim to the channel again or, or, or whatever, I want to do it in a more embodied fashion so that it's it, I am pulled towards that and so what is pulling me it's more that engaging with my body and what is my body pulling me towards rather than my busy brain taking me in a place that's constantly switched on and in that sympathetic nervous system does that make sense
1: yeah yeah that makes sense I mean I think the thing I would say that I focus a lot on, I think people need to think about is, is who do you want to be tomorrow? And what do you have to do today to get there? And what I mean by that is, I I think we tend to be very short-sighted, as you mentioned, and that's just how we're hardwired. We tend to think about the outcome and we tend to think in very, very short outcomes, but we tend to forget is, it's the decisions we make today that actually dictate five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, where we're actually going to be. And so it's more about thinking through where am I trying to actually, what's the the long-term goal. And then it becomes a question of what do I have to do each and every day to get to that long-term vision of where I want to be. So I think we kind of have to override our own biology in a sense to get there, because again, we're hardwired for survival immediate uh, short-term, and we're not necessarily as good at making sacrifices in the short-term in the name of the long-term. So I would just say, you know, who do you want to be tomorrow? And what's it going to take today to get you there is, is a good way to look at it.
0: Love it. Love it.
1: Joe, it's been an awesome conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's, Appreciate uh, it.
0: There's uh, been a lot of information, but you, I've really enjoyed how you've articulated it. It's uh, been very accessible. Very um, yeah, I think it's going to dispel a lot of myths, certainly in my circles, of what actually HRV's about. So if people want to reach out and, and find out more about Morpheus and things like that, where can they find that?
1: Sure, just just uh, my website, eight weeks out, which is the number eight, and then weeksout.com. So you can you can find more at Morpheus there. Um, actually I just released a new course called Recover to Win, which which goes over a lot of these different lifestyle facts we've talked about, and I break it down in different categories. So if you want to learn how to kind of optimize the the 23 hours out, outside the day, the the recover to win course mm-hmm. is is about that. And then as the Morpheus coaching uh, system becomes available. They, they can find everything out also at trainwithmorpheus.com, which is where the, the Morpheus side of things is. Uh, but aweeksapp.com is, is my main homepage. They can find everything pretty much through there. Awesome. Joel, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no problem. Appreciate uh, you having me on. I'm sure we'll have to do it again sometime. Indeed.